Hello, Christian. Hey, this and is John, isn't it? This is John and Jeremy hey. here. Yeah, I'm here too. Okay. Don't forget me. Yeah, don't forget Jeremy. He's <laughs> He thinks he's important, but uh, we all know he's not. Anyway, um, we started a new pa- podcast called The Acoustic Shop Knows People, and we have decided that we know you. Um, Whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and what we'd like to know is, would you be interested in being on our podcast? Absolutely. You sure about that? <laughs> don't don't uh, give her an I, out. I don't if you agree to have Darren Nicholson. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that Nicholson guy. On that, guy. that guy is a problem. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be something. All right, it's going to be an awesome uh, deal. We will get with you very shortly, and we will record that. Okay, that sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right, see you guys. See ya. Bye. Take me away, because I can be the wing. Let somebody run, let me go, and I can have my way. Hey guys, hi, hi. That's all I had. <laughs> okay, hi guys. Um, well, well that's uh, good to, there's a fly in the studio. We just sat down for <laughs> there another is one a of these? fly in the studio. <laughs> it's attacking it's right you. on your microphone. Everybody, hold what you're doing. Oh yeah, I get oh, oh got him! <laughs> I just pulled an Obama <laughs> or Mr. Miyagi, either one. That was something. Well, I'm glad we got a video podcast for all the folks at home. Let me describe to you what just happened. There was a fly on my microphone. I did the I did the chameleon thing with my eyes just zeroed in on him. I backed up just a second, did my depth perception right. Wow! Wow! Look what he did to his his uh, windsock there. Yeah, straighten that out. All right. Got all little, right. So, little podcast. bug guts on my hands. But John, John makes was, me feel proud. I was just uh, I was just putting a little bit of uh, podcasting uh, info on you guys here. Yeah, how many done. of you, I want to know how many people out there right now, put it in the comments, how many people are listening on their iPod? Jeremy, did you know that the podcast was built for the iPod? I did not know that, know John. That. I don't know that that's true. I'm, I'm going to say it is. Somebody please fact check, John. How many people, ha- do you remember an iPod? Do you remember that? I do. I think I, I had lots of iPods. I had I a Nano. I, I jumped on the Microsoft Zoom Bandwagon, I thinking that would win. Yeah, I, I have a bad track record of picking. We picked the uh, the HDVD, the high definition yeah. DVD, instead of Blu-ray. Um, yeah, the Microsoft I, Zoom. I had an iPod I was actually that before was the Zoom. I had Zoom. one. It was called Creative Jukebox from the folks at I Creative bought the one, Labs. Remember, I had the one that was a CD. Uh, you made CDRs of all the data CDs, and it played just like a. Discman. I got an SACD player, Super Audio CD. That didn't last. My DVD I, audio. My last iPad, I think I gave to your wife, was an iPad Touch that was given to me by a uh, somebody that owed me money for some equipment that he bought. <laughs> I won't name names, but his name's uh, Jamie Boer. Oh, but, I remember that guy. It was yeah. either the kneecaps or an iPad yeah, or iPod. I, yeah, I cornered him and said, here, take my iPod. <laughs> anyway, that's all I owned. So we'll full fact check you on that, John, but... Either way, however the iPod and the the, the podcast pod. history intertwine, we have a special guest today. I'm very excited to have uh, someone yeah. we... She might know the answer to this. We'll have to she see if she didn't... She no. On our iPod probably not worth our time to iPod. ask her this. Let's call it an iPodcast from now on. Ooh, that could be the new name of the show, guys. iPodcast. Yeah. Get an anyway, iPodcast. I'm no, sorry. I interrupted you. Who, 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 Kristen Scott Benson, guys, Kristen is going to be a guest, Benson. and that's very exciting. Uh, she's... A uh, phenomenal banjo player, super nice, sweet person. You couldn't uh, yeah. ask for anybody more friendly and nice and considerate. Genuine. Genuine. Yeah. Genuine. One of my heroes. And uh, so glad that she's on the podcast. She agreed to come talk to us. And uh, the acoustic shop knows Kristen Scott Benson. Kristen Scott Benson, welcome to the Acoustic Shop Knows People. Yeah. We are so proud to know you and <laughs> talk about how we know you. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. This whole entire uh, segment is just talk about how we know you. <laughs> hey, that that's okay. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate you uh, taking the invitation and being a part of this. We're very excited about the podcast where we're just talking about all things acoustic and Definitely Kristen fits into that uh, long history of knowing Kristen. Yeah. Years and years. Very proud to see all the successes you've had in that period of time. Yeah, same for you guys. I mean, I I think, John, how old are you? 
uh, old? Are we are we doing this really? Are we? Well, gonna... I, add some to. <laughs> no, I'm 45 years old. I'm sorry, okay. I, I can admit it. Okay, so you're 45. <laughs> I'm 47. So uh, the first time I saw you guys, Jason wasn't even playing bass yet. Your mom still was, and then I watched him come into the band. So I feel the exact same way. We all kind of grew up together, and I thought you guys were great the very first time I heard you. And I was a fan, and you know this. I mean, I, I used to tell you guys all the time. Uh, so it's fun to see what you guys have created and uh, all the success that you're having as well. Oh, thank you. It's, it is a lot of fun. Uh, my first memories of Christian, uh, it's always been on stage. Uh, always been on stage. You were actually uh, still in high school. Oh, when you were touring with Larry Stevenson, correct? No, I I was in college. Uh, I started with him uh, the first day of my sophomore year of college. I missed to play my first show with Larry Stevenson, so I was nineteen. Priorities. Yeah, <laughs> I go. got them right from the from the get go. <laughs> <laughs> and and picking what was your? Uh, I guess let's go ahead and do this. What was the uh, first professional gig of Kristen Benson? Well, it, there are many definitions of professional, right? So, uh, <laughs> so is there like a, a a line that you had to make so much money to call it professional? I don't even know. No, uh, no, because if we did that, I still have not exactly hit any of that even close. It'd be a low line. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. But the the first time I ever remember playing in front of people for no money, I'm sure, but I was only maybe five or six. And I, I kind of remember it. It was at a place in Union, South Carolina, where I grew up, called Midway Barbecue. And it had sawdust on the floor and all that that you can imagine. Uh, that's what it was. <laughs> and the food is great, and it still is to this day. But I played mandolin on a couple songs with my dad and grandfather. And um, I do have a memory of that. And then I started playing the banjo when I was about 13. And that's when I got serious about music. I uh, joined, uh, and I was playing off and on, you know, any chance like you guys that I could get to play, I would do it. But the first band I joined was a gospel group in South Carolina when I was 15 uh, years old. And then my senior year in high school, I joined uh, Petticoat Junction, which was an all-girl band. And mm -hmm. uh, that's when I met Andrea Roberts, who is um, married to Danny Roberts, who's the mandolin player with the Grascals, but uh, that was when I started traveling to Nashville all the time. So that was senior year of high school, and then it, it just kind of made sense to go to school there. And then that led to Larry Stevenson, and that's when we all met. So I I want to say maybe I saw you uh, with Petticoat Junction, though, because I, I we saw that band quite often as well, mm -hmm. and I maybe that is my first recollection. When, I don't when did you switch to banjo? Yeah, I, I was about 13. I tried to switch sooner, and uh, we, we bought one of those little banjos, uh, one of the short so We really got to go, why? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I can tell you why I switched. Okay, to I'm ready for it. Scott Vestal is why yeah. I switched to banjo. I, that. I saw. It's a good reason. Yeah, it is. Very compelling. But I saw, saw Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver uh, with that brand new band, which was Curtis Vestal, Scott Vestal, and Russell Moore. And it was in Dahlonega, mm. Georgia, and I was about nine or ten or eight, maybe, I don't know. But um, they came on stage, and I could tell the whole crowd was, like, really excited to see this band. And they were young. That That's what I noticed, is that these guys were early 20s, I would assume. And uh, they started playing, and it was just like this wall of music. And I'd never really heard bluegrass like that before, and it killed me. And the thing that got me was Scott's banjo playing. So I started asking for a banjo then. And we got one with the short neck. And uh, right after we got it, our, our house burned down. And uh, that was just not a high priority to replace. So I got a, a regular banjo uh, when I was 12 or 13 and just got obsessed like all of you guys. The thing that uh, blew everybody away, this is one of my favorite stories about Kristen was Everybody knew this, too, because everybody was talking about it. She was in college playing with Larry Stevenson Band, doing a full-time touring deal, and everybody was talking, which made you way better than any of us because I would have never done this, kept a really high GPA uh, while being on the road and 
studying on the road. Studying on the. I don't know how you did that, by the way. Well, not a lot of studying on the road. I just uh, <laughs> I was very committed when I was home. Cramming at home to school. Yeah, and uh, you know, it. I didn't have a hard major. I went to Belmont University. It was not. Uh, not exactly like it's a, a simple school for simple people. There you go. No, I'm right? just kidding. <laughs> if you want to play, slogan. look. If you want to be gone a lot, don't be an engineering major. You know what I mean? That's like, probably a smart move. Yeah. You know, you major in some kind of business, and uh, and that's exactly what I did. But Belmont was great. It got me to Nashville. I met a lot of great people there, and it's right in in town. So I think the biggest advantage of going to Belmont because all those decisions, even at that age, everything was in support of hoping to be able to play. So it was logical to choose a a college in Nashville so that I could be near other musicians. And and the big benefit of Belmont, it was right in town. And it, it also bought me four years to kind of get established and get going. Uh, I'm not sure I would have had the the courage just to move to Nashville, just to play. I don't know. That feels way riskier, but Hey, I'm going to go to college in Nashville. And then you hope playing starts to happen while you're there. And that I was so blessed because that's how it worked out. But um, I loved my time at Belmont, uh, but I was a marketing major. I started out music business, um, which is why it seems like everybody goes to Belmont was to major in music business. And then I realized uh, maybe you want to go a little bit more, uh, broad than that. So I may, I majored in marketing, but uh, Wayne, my husband, Wayne, who plays mandolin with third time out. And we both teach during the week. We both play in bands on the weekends. We have the identical life and pretty much the same income. Uh, he reminds me all the time that boy, college did you a lot of good, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he just took a different route. Yeah. The, the college of hard knocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a- that is kind of a sad uh, portrayal for musicians in general, uh, but also important. I Again, I don't think you made a mistake by any means because the percentage of people that actually are musicians that don't get a degree and then all of a sudden realize how much trouble they're going to be in when they can't get a job afterwards uh, also becomes a, a major deal too. So it was always pointed out to us that we should have some sort of education. It failed miserably for us because now we're doing this. Um, so none of us have yeah, anything. We're kicking ourselves now, aren't we? <laughs> well, in the end, Kristen's got the piece of paper that proves exactly. she's smart. Yeah, you know, so. that's it. And, and like you said, it, it made sense for making that move to Nashville. I, we have seen other people that make that big leap, and it's probably the same with acting where actors feel like they have to go to Hollywood. But you go to Nashville, and really talented musicians are a dime a dozen. They're basically playing on every street corner down there. And if they make that big leap and it's just to hopefully break into the music industry, that's a big risk that doesn't pay off for probably 90% of the musicians that do it. But having that college uh, as your foundation of a reason to be there, and that also helped you break into playing with Larry and and wherever your music journey took, it was kind of hedging your bets a little bit, make sure it was a, a, a safe move to Nashville, which, like I said, I've seen other people that didn't fare so well that that skipped that step of it. By the way, I believe that is Nashville's newest saying is uh, come here thinking that you're going to have a music career knowing that you're probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Nashville, hedge your bets. It's true. Did you guys ever consider moving there? I'll be honest. We 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 had somebody asked me this again this uh, a couple weeks ago about this. Why did you guys never move to Nashville? Um, We got serious about it. You know, actually, who was the biggest push and almost did it Scott Vestal, you were mm-hmm. mentioning Scott. Scott, we were they were playing with Dave Parmley, and uh, Scott's like, "You got to, you got to move to town. You just mm-hmm. have to." And he's like, when, he was talking to me at the time, and we we're gonna we're gonna start a secondary band, me and Scott, and we're gonna do this thing." And he's like, "You know," and we got fairly serious. We were talking about moving out of, uh, oh shoot, what's the name of the town north the of Jackson? Or? No, I can't. Anyway, we're gonna move not too far out of there, but we started really looking into it, and it's like, I don't know. We were so busy playing shows that we weren't home for. None of us had really a uh, plan on playing with other people than us. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest difference. We were going to be in the same place no matter what. So it wasn't like, you know, we needed to have the connections with us. Now it may have changed our entire run of what we'd do. I mean, Jason probably be working for somebody else and, you know, and I, yeah, be, but we live near Branson and we don't work down there. Either, yeah. There's, so. there's that too. Yeah. We so. just stay away from music. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you're exactly, uh, very far from a, a music entertainment center. I mean, you are very yeah. close there. 
Yeah, it is. It is a different one, and I think I do still think, and you, you can back this up or not. Um, it's up to you. Uh, that if you're wanting to get in and you're not necessarily in an established group, um, there's way more connections in Nashville and opportunities to play. I think what's become a lot of our musician friends that are out there right now are using it as a base and they go out and play with such and such on this week and they go out and play with such and such, you know, and move around and they have the connections to be able to fill in work and just have a, a overall and music career and recording, recording career. career. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, amplified if you live in Nashville. But one good thing about bluegrass, um, it isn't so centered that you can't live other places. Uh, you know, I've been in South Carolina again for 15 years, and I do a lot of driving, obviously. Uh, but, you know, just in the next couple of months, I'm filling in with uh, Darren Nicholson for a couple shows and his band. You know, uh, I hate that guy. <laughs> He's so he's such a jerk, isn't he? It's not like he's funny at all. He never laughs at any jokes. I was gonna say it's not like he's funny. He's not good at mandolin either. No, terrible at mandolin. We got a feud. Um, But I'm filling in with him. I'm also filling in with Darren and Brooke Aldridge for a show. And uh, yep. just filled in with. Um, I'm okay with that, Darren. That okay. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> it's not all Darren's Jeremy. <laughs> is it? Is it just man? Well, no. Just Darren Nicholson. Aldridge plays mandolin too, though. So yeah. it's not it's just, just. Just Nicholson. Just Nicholson. Nicholson. Okay. Uh, that guy. <laughs> no, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I'm good. Uh, I haven't played with him yet. Maybe you should have me on after. Or like a yeah, post well, fill in report. Be a, there's going to be a follow up, and oh, I guarantee you, you'll post it all over the internet. <laughs> yeah. It'll be nothing new, though. But yeah, that, that you guys are you do a lot of that where you're you're doing a lot more traveling. But I think the internet has really changed a lot of that too. We were talking earlier about back when we were looking. If you wanted to be recording Nashville, you had to kind of be located there because mm-hmm. there wasn't the remote uh, ability to do digital recording. There wasn't a lot of uh, uh, being able to set up your own home studio. At that time, we were uh, we got to record in a couple studios there, and they were still using two inch tape on a lot of those. Oh yeah, yeah. and digital was just starting to become the thing. But there are not many home studio options where I know uh, you and Wayne are able to do home recording there. But also your your online lessons you guys are doing now is totally different. You don't have to be in the same state or even country with your students. You can just do all this on the internet, and it. it it kind of makes that uh, necessity to be in Nashville unless you're just wanting to be able to fill in with a lot of bands a little less necessary. Yeah, that that's true. You know, and also the fill in thing, if you're willing to drive to get to that band's hub, you know, that's I, my joke is I drive for a living. I play just a little bit of banjo <laughs> because it does seem that way. I mean, I'm lucky because uh, John Bryan is uh, the other out of town grascal. So he lives in North Wilkesboro, uh, North Carolina. So he and I meet in Asheville, and then we can go the rest of the way together. So that that's really handy. Uh, but if you're Do you willing, have a problem with him, by the way, what's that? Sorry. Okay, just I just want to make sure Jeremy didn't have a problem with him. Oh yeah. So <laughs> just Nicholson. Just, I can't wait to see him now. <laughs> Tell him how much Jeremy hates him. I, what sure did you do to Jeremy Chapman? Oh, it, he's going to get the question. It's happening. I got his charts right here. Do you hate the charts too? Like, yeah. you can identify a Nicholson chart. Like, yeah. oh, Is it written? Like it. oh, of course he would go to the seven. <laughs> yeah. On your point to driving, uh, I always found that interesting. I was always third time out. Did yeah, that. third time out was a big one. Uh, 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 oh, what's Dilling? Yeah, Steve Dilling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I Carolina. mean the amount of driving that he drove every week well, from the bad thing Raleigh the, the to bus Atlanta. Does this long drive all night long gets to the the stop at Atlanta for at about three a.m. and then his second drive begins from yeah. three a.m. on to get back home another seven eight hours. Yeah, that's the crazy. Are they part. still doing that? Uh, we should probably ask Wayne at some point. Yeah. But uh, is it still based out of Atlanta and it is. everybody, everybody hauls the out of there? Yeah, yeah it's uh, coming. Georgia's where Russell lives, but that's not too yeah. far from Swanee, Georgia. All Atlanta ish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the guy that had the real drive was uh, Justin Haynes. Drove yeah, from yeah. northern central, not quite northern, but almost northern Virginia, 
Uh, so I think he was looking at about 12 hours to get there. And see, when Wayne and I left Nashville uh, and moved back to South Carolina, his drive got a lot better. Uh, he he became much closer to Russell, mm-hmm. and it's just me that makes that drive to the Grascals. But there, are, you know how routing works. There are plenty of weekends that it's just as quick yeah. for me to drive to the show. But worst case scenario, I just have to drive and meet them. But you're so right uh, when you talk about drive to starting. Uh, the mm-hmm. worst for me is when you play and you only have, like if you've got a six-hour drive back to your car, you might sleep during that time. But if you've got like a two or three hour drive back to your car, I can't go to sleep like that because I know I'm about to wake right back up. John can, I can't. Um, And so you're getting in your car, you know, at like three or four and you haven't been in bed yet. And then you've got the six hours home, but woe unto me, how blessed is it, right? That that that's what you get to do for a living. And it's still, I still like it, you know? Do you have a secret keep yourself awake routine for driving late? Sugar uh, is pretty much it. Like I I can eat my way home. I found that sunflower seeds work. If I eat a bag of sunflower and my mouth will be raw the next day from all the salt. Um, But just the action of chewing sunflower seeds will keep me awake all night. So that's my road trip. And you know, ironically, going back to the Doyle Lawson uh, conversation, I can listen to early Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver and wake right back up it's like the the music <laughs> that sugar. energized you if i put on that time period of doyle lawson and i've got you know some uh some of those birthday cake things that little debbie or oh, whatever zebra cakes no jason's obsessed with zebra cakes so. okay no it's not that it's the two per pack the the round okay. thing with the incredibly artificial i mean it's probably like 94 <laughs> ingredients and you can't you know, say any of them. Name any of them. <laughs> but man, it helps me Sucrose. drive home. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I like it. We actually had a travel uh, issue for you. Kristen came out and did our one and only Ozark uh, camp that we did, the music camp. I was that and bad. It, it was just one time, and they're like, we can never do this again. She had was nothing awful. to do with you. Kristen had like all these stage demands. Like, I need these, <laughs> these, yeah, these cakes. Birthday cakes. These cakes. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was an awesome camp, and the, but the it work, actually went really well. And it went great. It was just the amount of time and effort to pull it off again, as good as that went, was yeah. at that time too difficult. We, for and us. and it was right now. There's so much going on, and also resorts and getting all that stuff. Fees went up. When you deal with other people's businesses, it's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. uh, but sure. anyway, that said, poor Kristen came in like at two o'clock in the morning to get there from flying in, drove the rest of the way, and agreed to do this. By the way, at a Way better price than she should have. By the way, you're you negotiated so poorly with me. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to let you know. How's no, that business kidding. school working out for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> no, she was awesome, and uh, her students absolutely loved it. But then had to get out of there late at night again on her way home. But that was like a Southwest meltdown uh, of planes, That's when if I remember right. And, that, and you had to end up. Let me just tell you, th- this could be the rest of the podcast. It's the worst travel thing that ever happened to me in all the years all that years. I've traveled. It made her quit banjo You're for a while. Welcome. That was You're it. You're welcome. That was it. But I was lucky because my flight was leaving St. Louis at five something. So rather than go to bed. I thought, well, I got to return the rental car and I want to check in pretty early. I'll just, so I hung out with everybody. We had a a great time, nice wrap up feeling session. I got to see the students again and just kind of chill out. And then I I left. So I left at maybe 11, I think, to drive to St. Louis. And of course, didn't go to bed, but that was okay because I was going to get on a plane and sleep and fly back to GSP in South Carolina. And um, I got word on the way that the flight had canceled. So I called Southwest and started listening to their hold music <laughs> the whole way. And what is that? Four hours to St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah, it was about three and a half. Three and and a half. Branson, it was definitely four hours. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> their hold music for four hours because they never picked up. Anyway, returned the rental car, walked in, but I was lucky because it was one of the first flights and I knew we had trouble. So I was near the front of the line, although it didn't matter if you were like fifth or 500th because there were no agents to help anyone. So we just all stood in the lobby and uh, 
my favorite part was I made friends with the girl in front of me and the, the woman behind me. And it, it's like this weird understanding though, like we have this common bond because we're all stranded together. So we're united on that, but it's also dog eat dog. Like don't <laughs> think about getting in front of me. And you have a banjo uh, in your hand. And if it comes down to me or you, I'm going home. So it's like this, <laughs> this very By the way, you don't want to mess with Kristen. It's <laughs> a very conditional friendship you got going with the people around you in line. Anyway, I abandoned the line. I, I realized it wasn't going to work. I got one of the few rental cars uh, that was left. So I was able to grab a car that morning. That was another story. Uh, no one showed up to work at the rental car place. And there was a guy behind me in that line who was a special customer and uh, called his contact for that rental car agency in like Brazil because it, it was working hours or something there. And uh, they called that location, got a guy out of bed. He shows up. And I bet there were, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I bet there were a hundred rental car transactions in line by the time it opened. And that might mean families of six, you know, so there's like sure. hundreds of people in line. Anyway, I get the car, got a Prius, and I had never driven an electric car, sat after all of this, hours that it's taken to get to this point, I can finally drive home, couldn't figure out how to start the car. I sat in the parking lot for like 15 minutes and then realized, guys, it's running. It's electric. Just put your foot on the gas pedal. Why, do, why don't I hear this motor kick in? What, what's going on here? So I had sat there forever, like just going out. I was like, I'm going to YouTube to find out how to start a Prius. And I bumped the gas and it moved. <laughs> so anyway, then I drove a thousand miles to uh, from St. Louis to where Cussing my out the Chapman's the whole way. Yeah. yeah, the whole way. She's like, no, that John. Oh, no, 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 on top no. of that, I, I, I was, another thing to say, Kristen, yeah. Kristen came, she was scheduled for like a number of classes, but then you also filled almost every working hour you could have every. with private mm -hmm. lessons, which the students love getting a chance to have one-on-one -on -one lessons. But the amount of worth, I, I, I complained about why I haven't done another camp, the amount of work it took to put it on but here's Kristen that just filled about every spot she could oh yeah and was just working that whole time got a little bit to enjoy you know kind of sit back and relax a little at the beautiful resort but I was very impressed with how your work ethic stood out there and how you were just kind of filling those slots and and making that those students really enjoy their stay and there and then and then afterwards has this yeah, terrible tragic no hours. sleep for like 24 solid hours uh <laughs> or more I remember following you on that ride home because I get this text message like Finally, I'm finally home kind of situation. But if you stood on social media, there was like these breakdowns of how this ended up, uh, you know, happening. It was, a, it was a mess. I I felt bad for you the whole time. And again, I apologize. When you went to sleep that night, you know. Yeah, when I was 10, sleeping. <laughs> 10 extra minutes to fall asleep. The Acoustic Shop Knows People is brought to you by the fine folks at The Acoustic Shop. There's fine people over there. Have you guys ever heard of a mandolin? If so, you should already be in the car driving to the Acoustic Shop. If not, you should be on the World Wide Web searching up theacousticshop.com. If the answer is no, then you should go listen to a mandolin, then get back to step one and continue through the rest of the steps. As always, please drive safe. I loved your camp. Uh, Wayne and I have talked about everything you guys do. It's always it exceeds the expectations always everything that you do. I mean, you don't do anything small. It's always top rate. And I wonder if more people in our industry, and there are some, I, I'm not um, <laughs> saying that you're the only ones, although it, I mean, it, it does seem rare sometimes, but everything that you apply yourselves to, you just exceed everyone's expectations and you you value professionalism and I, I wonder how much our our industry would benefit if everybody took that approach and uh treated the music as if it was you know a, a mainstream genre with all the resources in the world because what I see from you guys is that you treat bluegrass the way any other music should be treated you present it well you present it with respect and professionalism that I think really got kind of sets you guys apart. Well, I, I think, thank you for thank that. You, yeah. uh, I, uh, first of all, I, and I, 
I don't necessarily think that we're the only one, definitely not the only ones uh, trying to do, but you're correct in that I think this is not just our industry. It's not just uh, even just music. We learn real quick watching professionals like you, professionals like Rhonda, mm-hmm. uh, that, that just come out and recognize this is my job. And, uh, you know, when you take on a full career, you you need to do what you possibly, especially if you want to go past, you know, there's there's a type of personality, and I'm not the person, by the way. If you talk to Jeremy and Jason, they'll both tell you, John just floats by and, and hangs in there when he, when he can. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm good with that. But it, it takes, you know, if you want to get to that next level, you need to push further than anybody else does. Mm-hmm. And well, it can be either the business or, or your technical ability. That, that's one thing we learned years ago from people like Chris Thiele. Growing up with him and hanging out, we realized we go home and play video games for an entire week. <laughs> we'll play on the true. weekend, go home, play video games. But we talked to Chris, and he's like practicing and, and rehearsing with people and recording different things. It's almost like clocking in. It's like, yeah, out. he would clock in basically to practice, practice all mm-hmm. week long. And it's it, that on that musical side and also the business side. We later later in life learned that it is a job. What we do at the festivals on the weekends or like what we're doing right now, uh, recording things, doing content. That's not the job. The job is in between that and mm-hmm. getting that stuff out there. Mm-hmm. So And uh, again, not to, to... Well, look at these two. No, no. Yeah. For, yeah, for, exactly. Stop. Look at Kristen and Wayne. You both have taken on this whole new uh, full-on venture of lessons lesson content and all that and you know that's what we were it's exactly what we were just talking about from you at the camp your guys's work ethic is not just like and so many musicians do this you know it i'm not calling mm-hmm. anybody out but it's Darren nicholson friday <laughs> Darren Thank you. That, guy, that guy you got it but you work thursday friday saturday go home sunday and yeah. then we don't you know and we were really bad about that when we were younger i'm not even going to try to pretend that we weren't yeah. uh i wanted to watch movies and sit in a you know, and do nothing until the next gig. But that meant we just sat stagnant. And you guys have this whole secondary business that's going on, and you're full on. Like, right now, how much – you're scheduling how many lessons a day right now when you're home? Well, I would look at it more a week. Um, And it's odd because it's hard to say because some people are once a month, some are 30 every week, some are an hour every week, some are an hour – every other week, you know, but we try to, and you guys will identify with this. People completely don't understand what I'm about to say. They can't believe it, but I keep um, a roster of 20 hours per week and, or try to, and that really is 24, 26 hours of work a week. Sure. And then uh, most people wouldn't believe there's that much extra stuff that goes with it, but um, you know, even if it's just running over a little bit with lessons or, you know, the, all the questions and all the scheduling that comes with that, it's not just the lesson time. Uh, so, you know, I'm working 26, seven hours a week doing that. And then, of course, playing with the Graskels and uh, then recording. You know, I've got three um, different sessions this month for different things and uh, also a couple days of mixing. Uh, for for different things so you know this is a busy studio month for me it is it's not busy for people who really do that but you know I probably got about five studio days as well and then playing with the grassicals and then you know there is the child uh, that (laughs) that lurks around here That we try to feed occasionally. Well, he can catch his own fish, so he's, yeah, he's, he's all, all right. good. Yeah. <laughs> Teach a kid to fish, and you don't have to raise him. Except you have to pay for all of his tournament Fishing fees gear. and yeah. gear and all that stuff. Yeah, the only thing I say, the only thing I know, my son is a is just an obsessed. Wayne and I recognize his passion because we were the same way about playing music, and he's exactly the way we were about something that we know nothing about. So the only thing mm-hmm. I know about fishing is how much it costs. That's it. <laughs> but I'm an expert at that. <laughs> I bet you are. Wait till he goes to buy that first big bass boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've got a medium one right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so we He'll work his way. He's got to win. He's got to win the big one. Yeah. I have this conversation with him. I'm like, Hogan, every tournament that gives away a boat, 
fish it. I don't care where it's at. If you can physically get there, try. You can stuff, you can stuff them with like lead weight. Yeah, I've heard of lead this. Weight yeah. the fish you can do that. Yeah, the walleye guys up north really yeah, had a time that. with that. Yeah. You got a little trouble. Oopsies. But, but on top of that, you just listed all these things that are kind of the, the paid version of what your week is. But then also to improve, there's still that fitting some time in there to try and you know practice your own stuff, or if you're getting ready to record, you've got to work up Learn what you're charts. gonna play. If the band, you know, if Grasco's got new songs, or if you're playing with Darren Nicholson, oh. that, don't put any extra time. I'm, I'm not one. gonna learn but, his stuff. I'm not gonna practice at all. Say, sorry, I lost your charts, Darren. But no, if you're filling in with these guys, there's a lot of work into like figuring out the the, yeah. the uh, arrangements and where what to play to make sure you fit in and make them sound even. Darren sound better. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that's all extra hours that you didn't list in that weekly thing. That yeah. And then on top of that, and I, we brought some friends. You've probably done this. We've had friends over the years like, oh, man, I just wish I was you guys. I, I don't have my day-to-day job, and I, I could just go on the road with you. So we say, all right, we're going to go on this two-week tour. Come out with us. And at the end of the like, that's exhausting. Like, <laughs> just the, the travel and the, the checking into a hotel. Finally, when you get to a stopping point at 3 a.m., waking up at 6 a.m. to leave for yeah. the next you know, few hours. It and playing a show, you, you get there, you set up, you you do the the CDs and um, do the sound check, do your performance, then you go meet everybody afterwards at the the CD table, and then you get to pack up, then hit the road. It's an exhausting routine there, but then you have all those extra steps along the way. It's it's something that most of the fans don't see, and I think it always bothered us when when people would you know see a, a ticket price of twenty dollars to go see a a show and like oh they're only playing for an hour, why is it a twenty dollar ticket price? But it's Right, you know, all those unlisted hours of uh, of time and effort into it that are unaccounted for. Oh, absolutely, and that's so much about uh, what being a musician or anything artistic is. By the way, you'll probably hear my dog snoring because he's—I cool. uh, don't know if you can hear it—but he's running and you know doing his <laughs> little. Whatever he John does, John will do that once in a while during a podcast yeah, too. So every time, every time I have to listen to Jeremy speak, it yeah. pretty much <laughs> me snoring. Yeah, we we'll all start snoring <laughs> and kicking our legs. Right, right. right but no, guys. you're you are dead on. And then there's always these extra things that I decide to do. Like, and I also teach a lot of camps. Uh, that's another thing I got. Um, just did the New Mexico banjo camp. I have Rocky Grass coming up, and then uh, in July and Bale Flex, uh, Blue Ridge banjo camp in August. So I, I do those in addition. So, you know, you've got the grass schools and filling in with some folks and, uh, and then the camps and then recording and then teaching. And I think that there's a real model there. And I know you guys are exactly the same way where we're in a time where it's the easiest it's ever been to, um, not easiest, but maybe the the most possible. Most yeah, it's ever been to do what what you're passionate about. But what usually happens is you have to do a bunch of different things related to the thing, mm-hmm. and you you throw it all in together, and and you hope that it, it equals a, li- a living, right? And yeah. Uh, yeah. and you're incredibly blessed if if it does. Uh, so almost every bluegrass musician I know has a day job uh, during the week. And we're, we're lucky enough that we get to teach for kind of the primary day job. But then what I was going to say, though, there's extra things like I, I am writing another book for Hal Leonard and uh, Bill Evans and I are co-authoring that. And we're turning in everything for that this week. So that's a pretty demanding obligation that isn't routine, but man, it's a real one, you know, so uh, there's always the extra stuff. So like I, I look at my calendar right now and it's really about the end of September before I can just sort of calm down and say, okay, that I have that day is going to be free. Uh, but yeah. then I, I'm, I just cannot thank God enough that, that that's yeah. the case because when you're working hard, you know, there's 20 more people who would give anything in the world to have the opportunity to work yes. as hard as you're working. Yeah. 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 By the way, uh, <clears throat> Jeremy also has a book, so you guys are going to have to okay. trade books when he comes out. He just released one. Uh, I saw yet, some but... of his content. Well, yeah, it hasn't been released. Uh, I saw some of it. I'm not going to read that yeah. or check it out. But... That was my first. I did one with Hell Leonard, too, and it, it definitely extra hours of, you know, I'd come here to work at 9 o'clock, work till about 6, then i start teaching from 6 to 8, and then I'd stay from 8 till midnight working on that book and getting that turned out. And that was a, there was a lot of pressure trying to get that by the deadline and, 
And hopefully, they haven't got back to me yet with notes, but... Uh, yeah, they pretty much said, no. Nah. They said it's perfect. We're just, <laughs> just going to publish as is. Which one is it? Because uh, they love to work in series. Yeah, this is the... Uh, uh, teach Yourself, isn't it? Teach Yourself Mandolin, yeah. Okay. Very cool. So, I, I th- do you find this, when it comes to books, um, it's just best not to monetize it. You just look at it as a labor of love. Because if you were to figure out your hourly rate, you, know, oh, yeah. like, you just don't want to know. You, you just want to focus on the gratification of holding this book and saying, I wrote this. I, uh, I did it. Yeah. So I remember the first book I wrote for Hal Leonard, I was getting ready to turn it all in and Hogan was little and he came in from school and I had my hand and he walked in. I was so happy. And Wayne brought him in. And I'm like, look, Hogan, I, I got done with my book. And he said, you did all that today? yeah since you went to school today i i did this you know uh but that's very cool i'm glad that you're uh that you're doing that yeah it'll be it'll be something uh, i'm sure I'm going to have Darren read it. That's for sure. I was going to say, is Darren like a test reader for you? He can't read. He can't, he can't read. <laughs> Darren didn't beat up. He doesn't even know it. Poor guy. Yeah, he won't listen to this podcast. Let's say whatever he wants. What do you think of Darren? Let's hear the podcast. I love Darren. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going with you. He's one of my favorite people in the world. So You're just wrong. I, I want to go down. Oh, yeah, whatever, traitor. Um, I want to go down this road because... Darren? Co- no, no. COVID. Oh. Don't you believe this Ever is what changed your this whole trajectory for you as a musician? Yeah. As far as the, I know you both were doing less and stuff before this, but don't you feel like this is where it absolutely changed? And I think it did for all kinds of musicians all over the world to kind of go. Or were you guys already mm-hmm. set up in that and that helped you to weather the storm of COVID? It did. Uh, it was a little of both. I think we had a huge advantage because it's it's very simple. Uh, Pre-COVID, teaching was the primary. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, playing was the primary and teaching was the add-on. And then that just yeah. swapped. You know, so when COVID hit, it was all we had. So we tried to grow lessons like crazy. And um, I have... I, I've never let anyone go, but as the shows have increased, I've dropped it down, you know, because um, I just don't replace slots if if right. I leave, yeah. lose someone. Um, and right now it's, it's really too much. I mean, people would think, gosh, you are, you're really only working three, you know, if you look at eight hour days, you're only working three days a week teaching. That's not really like that. It, it's spread out and it's, uh, I kind of call it like being a concierge, uh, teacher like you you're a little bit at their beck and call if you mm-hmm. really want to grow that business and make a difference Absolutely. for people so um that has become more of the primary Wayne and I question if the circuit that we play on in bluegrass if it's ever going to fully recover from COVID because neither of our bands works as much as we did pre-COVID and in in our circle of bluegrass I'm not aware of anyone who is yeah, and that's a lot that. of the festivals that either folded up, you know, that just didn't come back after COVID yeah. or just, you know, a lot of the bands, they may want to tour as much, but a lot of them are kind of like, I don't know if I want to go back out and be playing that many dates again. And once you kind of got used to not having that many days on the road, there's almost a, a conscious effort to maybe be a little bit more pick and choose which festivals you do rather than so many pickup dates. So I think there might be a combination of both of those where it's, is it worth doing all these dates? We've we've now got to experience what life not completely on the road. I so totally agree. I've said I've said this before. I think we lost a huge percentage of musicians out of this industry that were professional touring musicians that I don't think ever even came back at all. Um and you know, and, and I think it's just not necessarily because they're like, Oh, that that was horrible. I'm glad I'm out of it. But it was it was it was a change and, and a wreck a reckoning for a bunch of them to recognize mm-hmm. that this is, you know, you guys had the lessons thing going on. We were sitting here the whole time when this went down, uh, we weren't touring anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we did a few dates here and there, but we were working on this business, uh, full on. And we were w- watching all of our buddies, all of our friends, yeah. all of our people who we grew up with, uh, going, I don't have anything. I got nothing right now. And they had to kind of go, I don't know if I can ever fully trust 
yeah that world ever again you know security wayne and i have felt that because we both do it and one of the things we've thought is uh we did have the lesson pad which was such a blessing and then everybody every musician we knew started trying to teach uh so there were a lot and they didn't last most of them and you guys can relate to this it's a different skill set and you really have to i there i think there are a lot of uh there are a lot of common uh coping skills between like being an engineer and teaching uh, in other words, those guys who engineer five, six days a week, um, they they develop ways to cope with a lack of patience. Or so, you, do you know what I'm saying? When you yeah, teach as sure. much as we do, or when you record as much as those guys do, uh, you learn how to uh, manage your your brain, I guess, just to be able to do that seven or eight hours a day. And it's not for everybody. So a lot of people quit teaching because it wasn't for them. And, and that makes a lot of sense. But Wayne and I have said one of the benefits of teaching is that uh, it isn't, um, it's COVID proof because once that happens, I, I don't know what the, the thought process was for you guys, but when it first happened, it felt like a vacation and we ate and drank more <laughs> in the first month. Then we had in our whole marriage, like we were, we were on vacation. We had never been like that before. Hogan, was you saw home. each other for the first oh time. Oh my gosh, he was home. We we like him, you know, and everything. Like everything was great. And then it it hit us. This is going to last. Uh, that I don't like him. Well, right, right. Why but, is he chewing so loud? You know, one of the problems, and you guys have about eighty four kids between you, right? But it's about, about true. But uh, but you know. You couldn't even send your kids to other people's houses. Everybody was quarantined, so they couldn't go anywhere. Uh, so, so that's a that was a little different as well, right? But anyway, uh, we just had a ball the first month, and then the realization hit, and we panicked. I mean, I think we were like a lot of people, and uh, months two and three, maybe into four, uh, was a huge uh, time of a of adapting for us because we had never been a couple who was with each other all the time. It was just never that lifestyle. So we bumped into each other a lot. And then we were worried about money. Name. This is why more than any other reason we bought a house contingent on our selling, but not at first we bought a house and had an offer on a house. And we were moving to a place at five acres and a lot more expensive than where we live still. Now we ended up saying, but we uh, made that offer on March 7th. And I can't remember the day that COVID hit, but it was within a week that Pretty everything close. shut down. Do you remember the yeah. day? Was it the 13th? I do not it, remember it, it exactly. It was kind of just like all of a sudden the dominoes started falling around that 13th time where festivals just started canceling and then yeah. bigger festivals started canceling and sporting events started canceling. So was- Wayne and I put an offer on a house that week and they accepted it. And we were closing in like 30 days and then all of our jobs went away. And, uh, and so we really did panic. We were able to add a contingency and then it just kind of fell apart and it was probably better that it did, but that was hugely stressful too. Cause we lived under about a three month, um, uh, umbrella of time there where we thought we were going to be responsible for this other house, uh, that we had bought with all this land and everything. And, uh, God was in it. And, you know, you can always look back and see how it worked out. But it, it was a stressful time. And I think that it uh, just helped us double down on having as many eggs in as many different baskets as we can. So we're not quite so dependent. And I know you guys are, are like that as well. You're constantly doing these different projects. You have your home base for sure. Uh, sure. But there are a lot of things going on. Yeah, diversifying a little bit and that i think you know we, we've talked a lot about kind of what you've been doing recently but you have really stood out there and i think a lot of people have been impressed especially female banjo players about how far you've come as a a, a side man like a lead person in a band where there's no like front man with the grasskills um definitely coming up and and was larry your first big like road gig that you did for a number of years yeah that's when i i really started playing in a band that that played that was busy 
that played a lot. And uh, like I said, I was 19. So I was so happy to be doing that. It, it was just, I don't think you can ever recreate youth and how it feels to be <laughs> able to do all the things you, you've grown up kind of seeing. You get to actually experience those. And uh, I was with him for five years and then played with in a uh, big purple bus. Yeah. That was where <laughs> there was one before that. That was the second yeah. bus. Yeah. And then um, Mickey Harris and I left and we formed a band with Sally Jones and Cody Kilby. And uh, mm-hmm. we did that for a while. And then I played with Larry Cordell and Lonesome Standard Time and, yep. uh, and then went back to Larry Stevenson and now am with the Graskels and I've been with the Graskels for 15 years. Wow. And you've won Banjo Player of the Year five years. Is that right? That's right. Five times. Wow. That is awesome. And I wanted to not get out of here without talking about the big Steve Martin prize also. That's one thing that was amazing. That's a good day. That was a good day. No, really? (laughs) No, I I I think I've always been proud for the viewers at home though that don't know the Steve Martin, he does every year Steve Martin the actor, uh the jerk. (laughs) Um, <laughs> not in person, but just the, the not character. Darren Nicholson, yeah. the jerk, yeah. <laughs> different kind of jerk. Um, but he has he started a really cool thing because he was such a passionate banjo player. Which way back in the Saturday Night Live days, he played banjo in a lot of his skits and stuff. Yeah, but he's always kind of been a a fan of the banjo. And then as he became uh, very successful in obviously his directing and producing and acting career, he decided to kind of turn back to the banjo. Went on tour for a while, but then he did something really cool where he. He put together a committee of some of really top banjo players. Alsa Brown, I know, is one of the people on that committee. There's but a number of really of important uh, and successful banjo players that select people that they think are uh, preeminent banjo players in the industry and kind of reward them with a cash prize to help them study the banjo and be a little bit more financially stable, at least for a, a period of time, that they can go out and do a project or do something with that. And a very elite list of winners. Them. Yeah, and recognize mm-hmm. them, which the banjo is probably uh, not a very highly recognized or rewarded uh, instrument in the uh, in the musical world. But I thought it was very cool of Steve Martin to kind of put this together, give a, a cash prize, and also just that, that recognition that helps to... Uh, I'm sure that was a, a boost of confidence and uh, you got to maybe buy a bass boat or something yeah. with it. <laughs> it. It was a great day for sure. And uh, I was so lucky. I had done a thing uh, with... And I'm sure the only reason he asked me to come do this is because um, they wanted to give me the prize in person. But Bela had me and Allison Brown play this uh, trio version of, I think it was Jingle Bells, that we recorded for a Daily Vincent Christmas DVD that I don't think ever came out, or album, maybe it came out. I don't think so. The whole DVD was a a ruse just to get the prize. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) They were in it. Daily Vincent, they were in on it. No, but we did that the <laughs> night before. There's another said, Darren I can get along with. <laughs> okay. So you're not the problem, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we did the taping, and then the next day he, he said, hey, can you come over tomorrow, and we'll talk about some things at camp, uh, about camp. We had just had the first Bela Fleck camp, and I said, well, you know, like any banjo players ever going to tell Bale Fleck, they're not coming to his house, even if it's to mow his lawn. You know, so I was like, I think I can make that happen. You know, so I went went to his house. We went downstairs and he said, hold on, I got to go get something. He came back down with Allison Brown and uh, Noam Pekelny and uh, Allison's husband, Gary, and Abigail as well. And they all came down and go, oh, what is this? And and they let me know that I want it. But this, this is a really fun... Uh, quick story they they told me not to tell anyone we we left and uh, i think the next day the grascals played in bean blossom so i was with the guys for a full weekend and couldn't tell anybody so uh wayne and my mom knew that that was basically it but don't tell anyone they said not until monday when we we put it out don't worry we won't say a word yeah yeah so i (laughs) went to this little cake shop and man i'm feeling like a million bucks and it's this place in Nashville, and they make these tiny cakes, but they're so amazingly good. So I was waiting in line. There was this lady in front of me, and uh, she she was wearing like a denim dress. She just reeked of elementary school teacher. 
Like <laughs> I, I, I just bonded with her knowing she taught second graders. Right. But anyway, I couldn't tell anybody. So I was just standing in line and kind of looked at her and she seemed friendly. And I just said, Hey, guess what? She said, what? I said, I won $50,000 today. And she goes, get out sister and gives me the biggest high five. And, and she was so cool. And that was like the I only person I, I got to tell, you know, was this lady in front of well, me. I'm glad she life. reacted that way. Yeah. She was awesome. She, she went from like boys and girls, uh, sharpen your pencils to like, we, you know, it was, it was great. It was so fun. I can't awesome. wait to see Christian. Like, Get out sister. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be I our new greeting. greeting. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It, it was a great day. And you know, we're so lucky when people like see Martin love our music or love our instrument. Uh, he could have loved oboe, you know, yeah. like how yeah. lucky are we that he sure. fell in love with banjo. So anytime someone, prominent takes an interest in bluegrass it's so good for us sure yes, absolutely except absolutely. aaron nicholson yeah that guy holy yeah. smokes <laughs> who cares what he's interested in yeah. again himself uh, yeah that's that's all uh, again though the coolest thing about this is and you guys will back this up and just about anybody who's ever known her this is the one of the coolest calm people easy to get along with yet has had such successes I'm proud every single time I see you as a person. She's always super nice and kind. Always genuine. That's a, the yeah. thing I get with Kristen. The most genuine, friendly, unlike that other outgoing guy. person <laughs> I know. We, we can go years without seeing her, and it's always the same Kristen. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and we still sucks. go back to the same stuff every single time. We're going to get yeah. together. We're going to jam a little bit. Exactly. We're going to talk, and we're going to talk about old times. And uh, I love you for it. I think you are one of the greatest people I have ever known. Yeah. And I, I genuinely mean that. Um, and one of the greatest banjo players. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel it's not the all same about way. your personality. I, I feel the same way about you guys. Every time I see you, it's like there, no time has passed. You know, it's how <laughs> it feels. It's just comfortable and fun. And I really did admire you guys. You know this. And always uh, thought you guys sounded great. And even mm. wanted to like nudge your dad out, you know. So it's like we kept a, trying to. Yeah, we yeah, did we it tried. too. You know, he wouldn't that, go. That whole family kept leaving thing. Legos on the floor. <laughs> Legos, Such Legos a on the outside floor. of his door. We kept leaving him at gas stations, and he'd always catch up. He'd always find a ride. He'd hitch a ride. I know some stories like that where there have been ousted band members left on the side of the road, and sometimes yeah. they make it to the show the next day. That was that was the original <laughs> ghosting. Hey, guys, you forgot me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't it's worry. okay. We yeah. got it. Yeah. It's okay. I made it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, it's good well, stuff, and y'all are great, and I just, is you're one of those people, or one of those uh, families that as soon as I see you, it's just like, oh, it's like coming home. Yep, I agree. I, I enjoy being around you. Uh, thank you so much for doing this with yeah, us and yeah, hanging out. I can't believe how many people have turned this down. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. we finally got somebody to say yes. <laughs> no, yeah. thanks for taking the time. This is a big thing for us. We enjoyed it. Hey, uh, this is funny. Always... I just got this in the mail. Can you guys see this? I can, sort of, yes. It says the four musicians of the apocalypse, and it's a banjo. <laughs> <laughs> Bagpipes. Bag Accordion and what's the last accordion one? and I, I guess uh, a drum, drum, which you know yeah, that drums. I guess that one could be debatable, but I mean, the, you know, when you devote your life to a, an instrument that makes that card, yeah. you better find kindred spirits to love. Yeah, well, you don't see Steve Martin giving cash prizes to accordion players. Yeah, so. there you go. Where's of all the people award? in that list, yeah, I think exactly. that's Weird Al Yankovic's uh, yeah. award. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's coming up next. Weird Al's uh, best accordion uh, player, uh, <laughs> excellence in accordion. <laughs> anyway, thank, thank you so, so much, Kristen. And we'll see you soon, hopefully. Thank yeah. you, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye bye. <laughs> Yeah, Kristen, Kristen Benson, Kristen Scott Benson. Yeah. She's so sweet. Yeah. She's so, so, and so, yeah, I really, absolutely, well, I was saying this before, I find Kristen to be the sister we never had. Yeah. Um, and, and it always, it, it almost feels that way when we get back together. It's, it's family. I always thought of you as the sister we had. <laughs> 
You better be careful how you continue with this here real quick. It's about to get out of hand. Jeremy's about to be canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Anyway, Kristen is uh, the sweetest person, like we always say. But I blow it. It's it's even more mind blowing that she's also one of the most talented people that we know. Mm -hmm. She's always willing to take on any music project. I mean, she takes on stuff that blows my mind uh, as far as the amount of talent and uh, work that has to be done to be able to make it happen. She's always on speed. Those rascals, they like to play fast sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And she can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. It was great. uh, Great conversation with her. Um, learned a few things that I didn't know, uh, so that was that was fun too, and that's part of this podcast. I know all of it. We we think we know people. The Acoustic Shop thinks they know people. I already knew all of it. Well, they we know people, people, but now we know them better. And now the folks at home also that's know them better too. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. Yes, we know we continue to know people. Yeah. Again, if you have not done so, please like this on the uh, your favorite podcasting forums. And uh, whatever you're listening to it on, uh, give it a rating. Rate it, forum, like it, a, share it. Platform. Yeah. platform. Yeah, do that. Because if you uh, are on a forum about podcasts, please mention this podcast to all the other forum visitors. And ask them how many of them still this. have iPods. Let's see if you can get down to the, the history of what the uh, podcast came from. Yes, that's a good idea. And we'll see you I'll guys. I'll be doing that. And then uh, we'll be, when I'm done with that, we'll do another episode. <laughs> okay. Sound good? Yeah. I'll right. see you on the forum, buddy. <laughs> see ya. The Acoustic Shop knows people. Handmade by Trent Pruitt, Hinkley Hinkleston, and Jason Chapman for The Acoustic Shop. Theme song written and performed by Ofer Corin. And please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.